Today on the show, we have Connor Clayton. Connor is the marketing manager for Line Skis and Full Tilt Boots, currently working out of the K2 Sports Office in Seattle. Connor and I talked about his journey to where he is now, but we also followed up on some of the conversation with Andy Perry. So if you haven't already listened, go check out that episode. But for now, here's Connor. Yo, what's up, Ethan? What's up, man? Good to have you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, dude. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Let's start out. So what was the start of your journey to trying to be a pro skier? Uh, start of my journey was ski sundown, I guess, moving to Connecticut and finding a little t- tiny hill to go hit a bunch of rails and jumps and lap every day till 10 p.m. Um, ski sundown kind of fell, fell in love with park skiing there and then found some bigger skiing in the, the green mountains of Mount Snow, you know, um, going to, yeah, going to, going to school at MSA and whatnot, and then finding um, Sierra Nevada College in Lake Tahoe area. So just kind of everything like leading up to that. So did you go to public school or did you just go straight to an academy? So I went to public school. Like, I mean, I really started getting interested in like kind of free skiing around uh, like eighth grade or so. So just before high school and then, yeah, high school came around and it was just like all focused on skiing. Like I quit all my other winter sports, quit hockey and just kind of started skiing as much as I could. Um, and then I was really good friends with, with two buddies, Kirk Scully and Chris Frula, who kind of, introduced me to like a weekend program up at Mount Snow in Vermont. Um, so, you know, we lived in Simsbury, Connecticut, two hours away from Mount Snow. And this program was basically like, you just, you go up on the weekend and you spend some time skiing on like an actual team with a, with a coach and they'd kind of help you learn some new tricks and up your game a bit. Um, I just really, I kind of fell in love with that aspect a lot. It was definitely a lot of, a lot of driving. So big shout out to my parents for, you know, willing to make the trek every weekend, essentially like, you know, Friday night or early Saturday morning, pack the car, go up there and go ski for a day and then come home and then repeat next weekend for every weekend I possibly could in the winter. Um, so that was kind of like freshman and sophomore year of high school. I spent the years doing that. Um, and then as I got more and more into that and started to get a little, little bit better, I got like approached by the Mount Snow Academy coach at the time um who kind of filled us in on like what the academy was and like what what opportunities it presents and everything and really didn't know anything about it until that time and didn't even know that something really existed that much um and then yeah i kind of looked into it a bit more and same thing with two buddies kirk and and chris we all kind of made the decision that i mean pretty cool to to go there and try to ski and really focus on like the whole skiing thing and see if we can make a career out of it and just kind of see, you know, like what, what path it can bring us per se. And so yeah, junior year of high school, we kind of committed to going there and it's essentially like, it's just like a winter program. So you'd still go to your main school for main high school back in Sinsbury for the, I guess the beginning, like fall quarters, you would say. And then for the winter and spring. So come about November, you then go up to, Mount Snow Academy, you'd stay in like the dorms there essentially, which was really just like this, this big house that housed about 20 people. That's about maybe a half a mile walk away from the lifts at the time. Um, and so you go there, pack it, pack all your stuff up, move it in there. And then basically you'd spend the time, you know, going to, going to school with 30 other students and skiing the rest of the time, essentially. It was a super super unique program where you, like I said, you'd live like half a mile away from the ski hill. You would walk down to school in the morning at like seven, seven thirty AM. You'd actually get taught like the school is so small. You get taught basically one-on-one 
Um, so you better have your homework done or else it's pretty obvious for the, for the teacher to know per se. But yeah, there's like one-on-one -on -one tutoring for each and every subject. Um, so super unique. And then you, you basically like do that for the morning. And then in the afternoon, you'd go out and ski from I don't know, maybe, maybe like noon to 3 p.m. or something like that. And that was usually like Monday to Thursday and then like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was just like ski, ski, ski or travel to a competition or um, anything like that. Um, yeah, so that was a really great experience for sure. And that was, I mean, I did that for my junior and senior year of um, high school. So it was definitely interesting kind of balancing like the regular school vibe of Simsbury and then kind of like leaving, leaving a bunch of your friends and buddies and like other sports, everything behind and then just going to a whole different world and, like strictly skiing for and still going to school obviously but skiing a lot for those two quarters and then going back and finishing out school at the at your regular high school but it was a pretty cool program and again like i'm super grateful and super thankful to be able to do that as well that kind of brings back to what mr andy perry was talking about in the last podcast too about going to academies right so yeah i'm one of those kids that was definitely fortunate to be able to do that um, yeah. so again like yeah so you do school in the morning in the afternoon are you when you're skiing are you being coached or are you just riding around with the other students it, it varies from time to time like you definitely have some times that are like scheduled out for like specific kind of coaching times and then like sometimes if you have like a long break in between your i guess you could call them classes or lessons in terms of the school you could go out and do like a quick little ride break um, but the majority of the time, like in the actual afternoons or in the mornings, there's going to be like structured coaching time to say, so you'd go out with, you know, your team, which was probably I want to say there was maybe like anywhere from five to eight of us on the team, essentially, and we'd go out with like one main coach. And then there's usually an assistant coach there. Um, Robbie Sullivan was the main coach. Um, and the assistant coach kind of varied from time to time, but yeah, we go out with them. Um, basically, I mean, go out do some nitro hot laps, lap the gulch, go to Inferno and basically decide like what, what was running well that day, what we want to work on with this like rail tricks or jump tricks, like what, what our goals are, what the conditions are like. Um, and then obviously like if we have, you know, an upcoming competition or something, trying to get like a, a run in mind for that, like at the beginning of the week and just thinking from there. Um, and obviously everything's just super, super stepping stones, you know, depending on like the skill level of where people are at is like learning that next 540 or learning the left seven or learning the right seven. So, I mean, it always varies, but there's always a cool opportunity because like every day was a new day to go back out and try to learn a new trick essentially. Just Yeah. And so is everybody there trying to be a comp skier? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are trying to figure it out. That kind of goes along the path of like the, there, it's difficult to find the path to like building that career in skiing, you know, like I think in general, like thinking about comp skiing is kind of like the most obvious path per se, because obviously if you're doing well in competitions, then obviously there are some cash purses and obviously there's going to be sponsors where on the filming side of things, I mean, that's, arguably a lot harder to kind of make a name for yourself as you got to be like completely like putting out so much content you got to be like crushing it and really making a name for yourself and anybody can go pick up a camera and go film essentially so you're competing against so many other people um so i mean in a way that's like a competition in itself to really try to get like those that sponsorship and actually make like a career out of that and actually be the few that like gets noticed and makes it onto the big screen per se so I mean, I think at that age and in high school, a lot of the times kids like myself included are trying to figure out the, that line. Like obviously going to academy is a, a huge opportunity to learn new tricks. 
and it's obviously going to come with competitions, but there's definitely some that like do that and then realize that competition isn't really for them. And then there's definitely others who like kind of love the competition feel and love the kind of more structured vibe to it, I guess. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that everybody went there was strictly like comp skier, comp skier, FIS, AFP type stuff. There's definitely some people who were like, no, I'd rather just like learn some tricks. And then after I'm done with this experience, I'm going to go just do the filming side of things. Cool. And so what was the comp circuit that you were on? Where would you guys travel and, and how regular were the competitions? So, I mean, when I first, like, yeah, when I first started out, it was, I can't even remember. It was USSA and USASA were like kind of the, the two main structured ones. Um, and USSA was like, I mean, basically it'd be around, there'd be some at Okemo, I think a few at Killington and then that doing those is kind of like what would get you up to the Rev Tours, the Revolution Tours, which was the bigger ones, which were then like, you know, the stepping stones to, to the Grand Prix and so forth. Um, so, I mean, typically we stayed within the East Coast for a lot of competitions for USSA, for Revs and for USASAs. Um, that would be like, yeah, Okemo, there were a few, there was always like a rev tour at Seven Springs in Pennsylvania. So we'd always make like the 10 hour drive there to go, go do that one. And then there were definitely a few um, out West as well. Like I mean, USASA nationals, when you do kind of like those regional events throughout the year, you end up getting, usually if you do well enough, you end up getting invited to nationals, which takes place in Copper, Colorado in like April. Um, so that's a bit of travel. And then if you are like full on following like that rev tour circuit, then there's usually three to four stops, I guess, kind of throughout the country. One's on the East coast. Um, one's maybe way out West. I mean, they used to be out in like Tahoe, but more so recently they're just pretty much centralized in Colorado. So thinking like, like winter park has had one before, um, I'm trying to remember where the other ones are. Yeah. And then like Breckenridge per se, but yeah, so, I mean. East coast, Colorado, and sometimes way out West to like Mammoth usually has some as well. So just kind of bouncing back between those three and popular ski locations. Mm -hmm. And do they extend beyond the U S say that you run through the whole U S circuit and you're at the top. Does it start going international? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a bunch of NORAMs that you can go to up in Canada. I mean, they have their own kind of competition circuit as well, but I mean, that's like the rev tour is pretty much like the U S tour per se. And then, yeah, Canada has their own, their own events. And then once you get up into that world cup level, I mean, those are all of course, international. Um, there's ones in the U S there's ones in Canada. There's ones in like Dubai, Switzerland, um, France, they're, they're, they're all over. And that's, that's where the major travel comes into play. Um, and I never got up to the point of like going to any world cups or anything. So I kind of just stuck between like the U S domestic travel, I guess, which wasn't necessarily terrible. Cause I mean, probably saved a little bit of money, I guess, in terms of that, <laughs> Yeah. but yeah, I think the farthest I ever went was, was Whistler for back in the day, they did like the North face park and pipe, um, when North face was kind of more so involved in like the slope style ski and snowboard scene. <laughs> Um, they have a couple of competitions and there was always one up, up and up in Whistler. So I made it up there, but that was, I think my only Canadian competition. So what are these points that Andy was talking about? He says that instead of giving out cash, these competitions are giving out points and that it kind of makes the situation difficult because these, these kids are spending a lot of money to travel around and they're not getting anything really tangible in return. Yeah. Yeah. Th th there's always, 
Yeah, the competition circuit is always a bit of a confusing one. Like, I mean, even for me growing up, like, I mean, I remember just like sitting down with my parents trying to like look at everything and try to figure everything out. Because I mean, there is, there's, there's USSA, there's USASA, there's FIS, and then back in the day, there's AFP as well. So there's like four different programs there that you're like looking at and getting points towards. Um, and it's like, are these all going for the same thing? Like, what should I be competing in type of thing? Um, so, I mean, yeah, when you're doing like, like rev tours, rev tours are FIS sanctioned events, right? So you're getting like these FIS points based on how you're placing essentially. And the guys who are getting like top three or yeah, getting like a little like sprinkle of prize money. Like you, when you're 16 years old and you're winning like 2000 bucks at a rev tour or something, you're, you're stoked, right? Cause if you're 16, you're like, cool. I just want money skiing. But for everybody else that definitely just paid like all of their way to, to go get to the event, pay the registration fee for the event, for the lodging, everything else. I mean, they're just getting some points, which eventually if you're getting enough points, you're gonna work your way up into getting invited to bigger and bigger competitions. And that's kind of the ultimate goal. And that's like the lure of those point systems. Like if you're doing three rev tour stops and you're placing top 10 every time, you're getting a lot of points and you're probably gonna get invited to like a Grand Prix. And then from that Grand Prix, that's where you can kind of really work your way up to being like like the, the pro ski and working up to the like the X Games and like kind of like the gold standard of getting some invite to real things and really getting your name noticed from like some bigger name sponsors for per se. But yeah, when it comes down to it, I mean, it's definitely interesting like hearing Andy say about that because I mean that's definitely like just something I'd noticed from doing it myself. Like I mean, I would usually probably at Rev Tours like end up anywhere from like 15th to 25th or something always like middle of the pack or so and so like those points never really did all that too much for me so at the end of the day like it was a really cool experience to like go and compete at all these places with some of like the best skiers in the country and whatnot but at the end of the day like those points really don't add up to that much unless you're really really in that top level um I mean, it's, yeah, like, again, it's, it's cool to have like that competitive spirit, but all the, it would be cool if there's other, like other prizes, I guess, than just, just the point system for sure. Yeah. And were you picking up any sponsors along the way? Nothing, not, nothing crazy. Just, just like the classic ones of, I mean, it's pretty easy. I saw, saw today that like you can get on monster army again today. Right. As I put my hands up in quotes, cause we're on video, even though we're just talking verbally here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you can like apply to that and get like a case of monster sent to you on like a monthly basis. And say you're sponsored by monster type of thing. And then outside of that, I mean, there are some like programs where like, if you're getting some points, then you can, like apply to these sponsorships like back in the day. I'm not sure if they still do it, but Rosie, when they're coming out with like the, the pivot bindings, you could basically kind of like apply to get a solid discount on those based on your um, standing in like the AFP points ranking. And so like, I think I was like 60th at one point, so I could get a pair of looks or pivots, sorry, for about like a hundred bucks. So we don't really consider that sponsorship, but like some small perks there, I guess. Um, and then, I mean, the other one being like, I would get floats and K2 skis from time to time, just because I through like MSA and through my local shop back in Connecticut, I was able to kind of make, make a connection and meet up with the local rep and who was nice enough to kind of flow me a, a pair or two of skis every year. So definitely nothing like hardcore sponsor wise, but thankful to get a couple of discounts and some free stuff. So 
and again, when you're like that 16 year old kid, like getting a free pair of skis and getting like a, a case of monsters sent to your house is like the coolest thing because you're like, wow, like these brands are actually like supporting me and what I'm doing. And like, you're not thinking too much about like the financial side of things at that point. So, yeah. And so did that routine continue outside of high school when you went off to college? Um, a, a little bit. So yeah, like when I was going to MSA, I was trying to decide what the heck to do after after school, like before I decided to go to college, I was debating, like just taking a gap year and moving to Colorado and doing the skier thing and just kind of try to compete and learn some new tricks and see like where that would take me. Um, but I ultimately ended up finding a school in Lake Tahoe called Sierra Nevada college. It's actually called Sierra Nevada university now. Um, and this was like pretty much at the, I think this is like in March of my senior year of high school. So super late. I was pretty heavily leaning towards taking that gap year. And then I just found this school that actually had like scholarships for free skiing. And I hadn't heard of that in like any other school around the country. And I had never even been to Tahoe before. Um, so I actually ended up like flying out there with my dad to go check out the school. And the moment like I saw the lake, I just like kind of fell in love with the area. Um, and so I ended up, yeah, like just me meeting the ski team coach there, um, got a nice like scholarship to actually go free skiing and keep on competing and doing what I love while going to school at the same time. It, it almost seemed like, like a ski academy in the form of a college per se. So it was like a pretty perfect fit, um, at first. And so, yeah, I ended up going there, started going there the next year, obviously like moved out to Tahoe in, in August, started taking classes, um, and yeah, I mean, the plan was to like work with the ski team there, be coached by John Cherry, who was the coach there at the time, and then keep on competing on like the Rev Tour circuit and just kind of see where that could take me essentially. Cause I mean, I was still heavily in love with skiing and definitely wanted to do something with it. Um, and again, like competing was kind of like the obvious option per se, like we definitely go out with my buddies and whatnot and pass around the camera, like at the local resort, like North Star Boreal and Tahoe all the time. And we'd love making edits, but like still in terms of like trying to become like professional skiing, my goals were definitely still set on like a bit more of the competing side. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you get to college, what do you get involved with and kind of what happens to your skiing career? So, yeah, I mean, I got to college and I was having like a pretty awesome first year. The first year I went out to, Tahoe is going to school is actually one of the worst drought years that they've had in, I don't know, maybe 20 years or so. Like, I mean, it, when January rolled around, my roommate and I made, made an edit and we called it January just because it was like, we would go skiing like for the morning and then we'd pretty much go and hang out at the beach for the afternoon, which honestly wasn't too bad at all. It's just like, if you love powder, then you weren't getting it all that year. But for us park rats, like skiing slushy springtime rails and jumps all day and then going to the beach in the afternoon was, it was a pretty good time. So, but yeah, I guess the only downside with that is there weren't, like, there weren't huge jumps that year at all. There were, there were some, definitely some smaller ones. And so it was super fun to lap the rails, but like in terms of like learning new jump tricks or anything of that sort, it was pretty much not possible since you're just like hitting 25, 30 foot jumps since there's no snow to build anything bigger. But anyways, yeah. So I mean, doing that, having fun. And then I traveled around to a couple of different competitions still, um, had some fun, did, did decently. And then I went to the Aspen open for the first time in February of like my freshman year of college. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, that was like the same course that they ski on with ski the X games for essentially just like they change up the rail setup up top a little bit for, um, us amateur guys. And so, I mean, again, kind of there with like some of the best skiers in the U S and probably international as well. Some really good guys. Um, and I just remember like, it was a beautiful sunny day. Um, I took, took one run on my actual comp run and kind of like messed up on the first run. And I mean, I landed the whole thing, but didn't really score what I wanted to and wasn't going to make it into like the next round with what I had currently. Um, so the second run, like I tried to up it a bit on the last jump and I think I went for a switch 12 and I just like forgot the speed check and I went way too big on that jump and just landed way back seat. And as soon as I landed, I just felt something like snap and pop and screamed in pain earlier that same year, my good friend had blown her knee out and she screamed. And right when I was screaming, I was like, I feel like I'm doing like the same scream that she did. And so sure enough, yeah, got down to the bottom of the hill, went and got an MRI like that same day. No, sorry. I just got, went to the doctor that same day and pretty much said that, yeah, your ACL is gone. And so that was the first time I'd really like run into like the good old ACL injury. I hadn't really thought about it before. Um, so yeah, I kind of got some crunches, got a nice big knee brace and then made my way back to Tahoe after that. And then kind of tried to plan out some, some next options, I guess. How are you feeling? What was going through your mind when that happened? Pretty bummed obviously at the time, but I was just, I mean, again, I really didn't understand like what the ACL tear fully was, I guess. So I was just trying to kind of like went back to Tahoe and I was just thinking, okay, like, okay, when can I ski again next? Like, like what, what's next? Um, we had like our college nationals where we go and like compete against like five or six other schools around the country, like university of Vermont, CU Boulder, a couple of like, big names that will go. And it's basically just like a, a fun week to go compete against your other friends that are going to college and kind of on like a similar skiing team. Um, and that was partly like what the scholarship is for, for, for the school I was going to is, you know, to actually go and compete for the school and help them like win a prize and help them win the namesake of like the best free skiing school in the country or anything like that. Um, so John Cherry, my coach at the time, I was like talking to him and I was like, don't worry, like I'll still be able to ski in this, like I'll, I'll make it work. And so I actually did try to like go skiing, like two weeks later, just like without, without my ACL and with my knee brace on, I took one run and I was like, what the hell am I doing? This is a bad idea. And so at that point I was just like, okay, well, I gotta go to a knee doctor and sure enough I did. And so we decided to schedule a, a funnel knee surgery. Um, and so I, yeah, I ended up blowing my knee out in February and then like three weeks later in March, I went under the knife for an ACL and meniscus surgery, like the classic skier injury that you hear about, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So went under the knife for surgery, all went well, and then kind of just went on the road to recovery um, and tried to ignore the fact that all of my friends at, at school were still skiing while I was just kind of limping around the dorms and focused on school and nothing else at the time, really. Um, so that was, yeah, that, that was March. School ended around like, I guess, June time. And then I went home and kind of finished rehabbing um, at my house, at my parents' house throughout, throughout the summer. And then came back to school again in August time. And by like October, when the snow started falling again, I was about seven months out of, out of surgery and pretty much got the green light after doing my kind of like return to sport test. Um, so I was 
ready to ski again for my sophomore year of, of school. So how were you feeling about competition after the surgery? I think kind of stupidly, I think I was more competitive. <laughs> I, I came back pretty, pretty, pretty hungry, like with a vengeance to, I, I don't know if it was like to make up time or what, but I definitely like, still wanted to like continue my skiing career and see like what it could, what it could take me. So I just remember like the, the first day, like back on snow, like I'm looking back at it now after a couple other knee injuries i remember my first day back on snow i was like doing four ons and just like doing stuff i should not have been getting back after like a fresh knee surgery so i was definitely pretty hungry um but i had a really good beginning of beginning of the season super fun um yeah i think boreal out there opened up again in like november time and they always kind of have their white ribbon of death where everybody goes in sessions like five features um, and from that point on, I was just skiing pretty hard and having pretty fun. And my leg was feeling like really strong, not, no problems at all. Um, and then like basically I had my sights set on competitions again. And I don't think my first one was really planned until like January time. So I had some serious time to, to just learn some tricks again and kind of get my feet back under me. Um, and then, so kept on skiing for the beginning of the year, going to school, whatnot, and then winter break came around again, and I went back home um, to visit my family and well home. I didn't have a pass to the local ski area, so um, I didn't really ski. I think I went to Mount Snow like once over a four-week span. So I was just kind of enjoying some downtime and just enjoying spending time with my family. Um, and then on the way back out to school for the winter semester I met up with my good friend Shaggy at Park City for a little pit stop on the way um, and we just had some fun lapping but I did like one switch five off the first jump and took it pretty deep and just kind of felt like a little like twinge in my knee at some point um, nothing really too bad I, I skied the rest of the day but at the end of the day I like took my knee brace off went to my knee and it was just like super swollen and not feeling too great so I went back and, and iced it and then the next day I woke up and again, it was pretty swollen. So I ended up cutting that trip short and not skiing anymore for the rest of it. And I just went back to school, um, made the drive back early. And then I kind of took like a week or two off and just went to the gym and made sure that the knee was feeling pretty good. Um, and then I started skiing again about, yeah, two weeks, like I said, you know, two weeks later after I got back out to Tahoe area. Um, and it was feeling, feeling decent, had, had some fun skiing with some friends, filming with skier Dan. Um, and then I just, yes, yeah, remember like I did one blind too. And again, I just got like a, a sharp pain, um, after I like had gotten back on snow after those two weeks of being back in Tahoe. And after, at that point I was like, okay, like what's going on? Like, is something wrong? And this is, I think I had a, my first rev tour of the year at Mammoth and like two weeks after when I felt this pain again. So I was definitely a little, little pissed off and definitely kind of selfish and the fact that I was like okay no like my, my knee's fine like it's just just some like surgery pain just some scarring or anything like that um and so I kind of proceeded to to push it a little bit I guess and like I think two days maybe two days later after I had felt that pain I went back to Boreal where I was before just kind of by, by myself solo lapping because they had a nice three jump lineup and I was just trying to get a, a kind of a rundown for Mammoth um and so I was just kind of repeating like the same run over and over again just building that muscle memory um doing what I wanted to do and I just remember I don't even know how many laps it was probably like my fifth lap of doing the same run it was like a left nine to just like a switch right five nothing crazy I just landed and my ski 
popped off and I just felt like a bit of a pop and like, I didn't fall over. I skied away from it. Didn't even feel any pain or anything. Um, but I grabbed my ski and then skied down to the bottom of the run, ready to kind of go back up again. And as I stood there, I just kind of felt a little bit off. Um, like something was not where it should be in my knee per se. And so I was like, okay, well that doesn't feel right. I should probably head back to the car. And so I had to head back to the car and I actually called my mom and I was like, yeah, something's wrong. I think I might need to go back to the knee doctor and just get it checked out and make sure we're, we're all good here. And so I went back to the doctor and he did like what's called the Lachman's test where they test the, um, flexibility of your knee essentially and try to see if like there's a nice snap when you're when they slam it down in terms of if your ACL is there or not and so he did and this was the same doctor who had done the surgery on me about nine months prior and he did the test and he was pretty confident there wasn't an ACL there and it's like okay well that sucks and you know but still like fingers crossed because until you get the MRI you, you're not like seeing anything for sure so I got the MRI about a week later and get the bad news back that, okay, your, your ACL is gone again. And I was just like, well, shit, <laughs> not good. Um, and at that point, again, like I was still just super hungry and this was a different tear than before. And the fact that like, I didn't have any meniscus damage, cause that's really kind of what stops you from doing activities when you have meniscus damage because you kind of your bones can grind together a lot more and just cause you a lot more pain and discomfort when you've got a meniscus tear versus when it's you know it's just an ACL if you have stability in that knee you kind of feel like you can do a lot of things still um and so I again I kind of went back to the gym after knowing that I didn't have my ACL and I was just doing some box jumps and doing my squats and I probably did that for like four weeks and then after watching Tom Walsh's documentary about not skiing with an ACL probably 20 times, I clicked back into my skis and was like, all right, let's see if I can do this. And I started skiing again and I had no pain and I felt like I could ski pretty much normal as and at the same level as what I was doing before. Um, so instead of this time crouching around the dorms after surgery and watching all my friends go skiing, I made sure that I could go skiing with my friends and still have a good time for the sake of, I don't know, for the sake of myself and mental health and just having a good time, I guess, and not getting surgery quite yet. I just wanted to delay it. I knew it was inevitable at some point, but just wanted to enjoy my sophomore year of college and enjoy the sunshine. Um, so I skied for pretty much like, the rest of that year and had a pretty darn good good ski season still and essentially i just like canceled all the competitions that i was originally going to do because i didn't want to push it for that i just like wanted to ski and have fun um do some filming with my team and made it out to like the college nationals we're back in uh whiteface new york so got to do some nice traveling with with the team with my college team at the time um still competing those and still having fun and the whole time i was definitely like a little definitely careful of my knee and again from watching like Wallace's video of skiing with non-ACL I definitely had learned from that to just land switch pretty much anytime you can and so that's exactly what I did I just kept on landing switch and it worked pretty well for the most part um and then I did that and then after college nationals back in whiteface New York I was pretty close to my family's place in up in Vermont we got a small cottage there near Mount Snow um, so I went back there and I went to compete in the Corinthia Open, which is one of my favorite competitions because that one actually 
isn't for points. It's just one of those events that's put on by the ski area. Um, you've got a solid prize purse and it's just like a good time with your friends just sessioning a jump. And if you don't get, you know, top three, then you don't get points. But if you get top three, then you get a, you get a nice big fat check. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's fun. Some, something that's to look forward to. And it's always good to compete in and that. Again, that's something that I think skiing needs more of as of right now. Um, but anyways, not to get stuck on that. I was competing in that and, having a good time, um, wasn't exactly doing like the best of tricks. And so there was one run where I remember just doing like a, a left nine and I landed and it was a bit slushy that day. And I landed and I just got caught up and I felt something pop again. You know, it's just like, uh, that's not good. And again, it really didn't hurt. It just kind of like popped and I skied down and just kind of like lay down and just was like, Oh God, what, what was that? Like kind of almost in tears just cause I felt like I wasn't going to ski again. Then I, again, just kind of got up and shook it off. And then next run, I went up and did the same trick and followed up with like just a big switch 10. Again, my knee held up and felt fine. So I was like, okay, right on, cool. So competed for the whole time. And I didn't get top three. I got like six or something, but I was still kind of stoked to do that. Um, and that was kind of towards the end of my ski season. I went back to Tahoe after that. That was spring spring break. Um, and just kind of had some fun filming with some buddies and just kind of messing around with some slushy sunny days at North star and at Mount Rose. Um, and then, yeah, so then ski season kind of ended and I went and got an evaluation. Sorry. I, I went home again after the, after school had ended that year. And by the time I got home, then I knew it was kind of time to get my knee checked out and like see what was really going on here. Um, and so I went to a different doctor this time back in Connecticut that had actually fixed uh, my arm before when I broke it. So I had a kind of a working relationship with him already. Um, and yeah, he did the same thing, did, did the Lachman's test, got an MRI for me. I already knew my ACL was gone. Um, what I didn't really know was that my LCL was also gone as well. And I'm assuming that that was the pop I heard when I was doing the Corinthia Open. Um, so yeah, I had some nice ACL damage, LCL damage. So after seeing that, I figured it was probably time to get surgery again and just kind of rehab for the summer. So kind of went under, went under the knife again, I think in, in June. Um, and then yeah, came out of surgery. They found my ACL was gone. LCL was gone. So they fixed my ACL up with, um, my hamstring and then my LCL they fixed with, um, a cadaver ligament. I don't remember exactly what it was right now. I think it might've been like a, a, an Achilles tendon cadaver. Um, and again, there was some meniscus and because I had been skiing on it all year, they found a little bit of arthritis too. So not the smartest decision on my point, my part to keep skiing all year. I'll admit that, but it was still a pretty fun ski season for me regardless. Um, so yeah, and then, you know, just did, did the usual of, of going back out to school, um, and, um, kind of did a whole lot of physical therapy, paid attention to kind of like my studies and whatnot. And th at this point, I kind of knew that after two knee surgeries in two years, it was kind of time to start taking a step back and reevaluating a little bit. Um, and at the time I had uh, some other kind of jobs going on that I was working. I was working, I got a job, kind of an internship with um, the Association of Free Skiing Professionals about right at the end, no, right at the beginning of my junior year, I think it was. Um, so when I went back out to school, I met um, 
Andrew Gauthier, who my old coach, John Cherry, connected me with, who was at the time the tour manager for Association of Freestyle Professionals. And back in the day, it's just kind of funny because this links back to the whole point system. Um, AFP was kind of like the next point ranking outside of FIS. AFP was essentially like created to be like an all-inclusive point ranking where FIS only sanctions so many different events, like basically only ones that they back, such as World Cups, for example, where like Dew Tour and X Games and stuff like the Corinthia Open aren't sanctioned events by FIS. So for X Games and Dew Tour and Corinthia Open, for example, there are no points that you can win. But with AFP, they made like an all-inclusive point ranking so that every event, pretty much anywhere that's taking place, you have the opportunity to win points for. And that just kind of drives your opportunity to become like to climb that ladder and climb the rankings and become that professional competitive skier. Um, so I interned for them a little bit and kind of learned the ropes. And I was basically the guy who would get the results from all these events. And then I would, I would upload them into the system um, for a while. And so I focused on that while I was kind of recovering from this other knee injury. So that was some really good experience to get and just kind of learn the ropes there. Um, and then while this was going on, our current coach for the ski team at our college um, was actually leaving to go to a different job back. I think he was, I think he got a job with a different school over in, over in Ohio. Um, and so he was making, making the trek East to move on. And so at this point the our, team was pretty much left without a coach. Um, and I mean, I think one thing about our school is that by no means did they have like the biggest budget for like the best coach out there or anything of that sort. Um, and they were kind of at a, a restructuring phase as it was. So trying to find a new coach at this time was definitely, I don't, maybe not one of their priorities or just kind of maybe a tricky subject for them in terms of like balancing that right budget and seeing where they really wanted to go and see if it was really worth it to still have this free skiing team that has scholarships and if that's really bringing in like enough students to the school per se um and so me being somewhat injured who i was in in, in the springtime um or sorry in in the fall we weren't skiing or anything yet i just kind of put my name in the hat to just to kind of lead some dry land practice and be the coach, at least the interim coach, since I was already doing all the physical therapy and I already know, knew a bunch of exercises that you should be doing in the off season to be able to strengthen yourself and get ready for the ski season. Although as I'm saying this, after I had two knee injuries, maybe I'm being a bit of a hypocrite in terms of saying I knew all these <laughs> exercises to do. Um, no, but so it, 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 it worked out where essentially I was kind of like, I ended up being a student coach for the team for a little while. Um, so I was doing that, like running kind of dry land practices in the off season and then working for AFP while I recovered from my injury. So just really keeping myself busy. Um, and then eventually kind of, I think January came around. So that was about nine months. Um, since I had gotten surgery back in, back in June, I was kind of cleared to get back on my skis. And so I got back on my skis. And at this time, I really just kind of focused on the coaching side of things instead of just like rushing back into trying to do tricks or anything. I would 
um, just go out and bring bring my camera. And that was kind of my excuse to not have any features. I would just film the team. And then afterwards, I mean, we would kind of do some like video review and just had just had fun skiing and trying to kind of help everybody learn new tricks. By no means were we like a super like academy focused, like go, go, go competitive team. We're just out there. Like if anybody wants to learn a blind four, then awesome. If they want to learn a front two, then awesome. There's something all inclusive and just having a good time. Um, but yeah, I did, did, did that for a while. Um, and then I think, yeah, probably come February, I started to ski a bit harder. Um, yeah. And then I kind of dropped the camera and I was still kind of like coaching and whatnot, but I, again, didn't do any competitions that year. We just did like the local collegiate competitions. We went up to Mammoth to do one. And I think we had our college nationals at Mount Bachelor that year. Um, so just doing fun stuff like that. But yeah, just kind of got back in my skis in, in March and started skiing a, a bit harder. And again, just kind of having, having fun with my friends, just passing around a camera and whatnot. Um, and then, I mean, we got, we got so much snow that year. This was, so this was my junior year of college. And I was one of like the snowiest years on record in Tahoe. And so we ended up being able to ski at Squaw and, and Boreal at Woodward until I think like July 15th or something like that it was. Yeah. So we had a ridiculously long season. So, and I mean, Squaw had an amazing springtime park. Um, so I, I had one of my, probably like my most memorable ski season ever that year, even though it didn't really start until like February. Um, and yeah, I just kind of skied, had fun, remembered how to do a bunch of tricks in the springtime at, at Squaw under the summer sunshine. Um, and then I made like a season edit out of it all. And I just kind of called it like my comeback season just because after the two knee injuries and kind of skiing for the whole year and having a good year and having no knee pain or anything. I just felt like I was in a really good place back with my skiing. And I was really excited for, for the next year and just to see, I didn't, didn't really have any expectations again, but just wanted to see the kind of what came of it. Um, yeah. And then, so then the next year came around, I guess, and I was still kind of doing, doing the coaching thing and whatnot and planning on doing that. And I was planning to have a big ski season um, and then the, the first day of when classes started up again, uh, after classes, we went down and we're playing some ultimate Frisbee and we're playing some soccer just with a group of buddies. Um, and about two months prior to this, I saw my, saw my doctor who told me my knee was looking great. I didn't really have to even wear my brace anymore if I didn't want to. And so obviously so stoked to hear that. Um, and so. I'm not wearing my brace playing ultimate Frisbee and playing soccer and maybe I should have been, but either way, um, I scored a goal on soccer and just being the person I am, I did a flip to celebrate. And as soon as I planted to do a flip, I just heard the familiar pop and I did the flip and I landed and I didn't even fall over and didn't hurt or anything, but I just like felt the pop and immediately felt that something was missing in my knee again, the same feeling I had like two years ago. And so I just like sat down and just actually just kind of started crying just cause I, I knew exactly what had just happened. Um, and all my friends are around me like, oh, what's going on? Like, why are you crying type of thing? And it's like, I'm pretty sure my knee just blew again. Um, and so, yeah, sure enough, like 
I think I went to the doctor like a week later and got an MRI and the, my ACL was gone again in the same exact knee. So that was definitely a heartbreaker after being really excited to get into the, the skiing side of things again and try to have a big season for my senior year of college. So that was, that was a difficult one to deal with. Um, but I kind of did the, the same thing of what I had done two years prior. I was just from like a mental health standpoint and just like wanting to have a, a good final year of college. I um, went ahead and didn't get the surgery and I didn't ski hard at all this year. I fully committed to um, just coaching for the full time essentially. And while I was coaching, I was still working for AFP at the time. Um, Andrew Gauthier at the time had actually left and was working, not left, sorry, but he was not there in the same capacity that he once was. He was overworking at TGR now. So I took over some more of like the tour manager responsibilities and was emailing the events and coordinating some events. So again, just cool experience there. Um, just learning the ropes and everything. And then my boss at AFP, Eric Zerenner, was nice enough to introduce me to the K2 rep for the NorCal area, um, Mike Rosen and Johnny Lyons. And since I wasn't like skiing for K2 anymore, just after all my injuries, essentially, um, I basically just got connected with them and they would still hook me up with three pairs of skis and boots in return for me going to demo events and basically being called like the intern, um, just telling people about the specifics of certain K2 skis and then turning screws that they could go ski them, obviously, for for mag tests or any like different like ski tests at Squaw or Mammoth or Not Rose or anything like that. Um, so built up a pretty good relationship with those guys um, as they were nice enough to let me tag along and, and help out. Um, so yeah, just doing those three things and like obviously still skiing at the same time, just at a very light capacity and just focus on the coaching. Still had a, a pretty damn fun um, senior year. We still went to like college nationals um, at the end of it all in like the springtime and our school, I think for like the third year in a row won like the whole thing and I got to coach it and I've still got the awards here on my mantle. So just kind of like a fun little memory now. And I got to watch like my roommate win, like the, I think it was like the best skier overall for the week or anything. So just, just some cool memories again. So, you know, even though the injuries sucked, it was still like a pretty good experience all in all. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And so, so that's kind of towards the end of your college career. And so what do you do coming out of college? Yeah, that's like like you said yourself. I mean, that, that's that's the big question. Um, so, coming out of college, I, I didn't really know exactly. I was I kind of it definitely slapped me in the face a bit. At 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 this time, um, AFP was kind of dissolving a little bit because I'm not going to say like we we lost the battle, but I mean FIS just being the size that it is, and with Olympics and skiing becoming more and more focused, the only way AFP was really going to kind of continue going on as if they could somehow find a partnership with FIS, I think, um, in terms of like how the Olympics are going to work and like who really gets the invites based on like all the different sanctioning of all the events worldwide. Um, and so just all of that and just AFP being the skeleton crew that it was, there was like four employees, including myself there. Um, it just kind of didn't really work out that well. Um, so that kind of ended up dissolving a bit. So I was a bit out of a job for that and then at that point again like you're I'm living in Lake Tahoe area which is a beautiful spot to live but 
as a college graduate, unless you want to work at a local restaurant or work down at the beach for the summer, um, just kind of doing like very seasonal jobs. There isn't really anything that's like, you know, a full-time gig there that you're going to get like a full salary and benefits and everything. Um, and that's, I think kind of a little bit more of what I was after instead of doing the, doing the seasonal thing. Um, but I'd always been going out of college and you know, I'd always been kind of a big fan of just like, um, social media and just trying to kind of teach myself some new things. And I'd seen a bunch of stuff about kind of like, um, helping some smaller businesses run, you know, like Facebook advertisements or anything of that sort and stuff that you know, some of the business owners around Lake Tahoe probably didn't know how to do all that well. Um, so I started doing my own little like kind of freelance marketing gig where I would just kind of help a couple of different clients around the lake, um, manage their social media. And then if they're willing to give me a little bit of budget then I would try to run some ads to help kind of bring some more customers into their um, business. And it was definitely fun and really good experience. And I was able to teach myself a lot of things and I did it for probably six months or so, but it definitely was not really paying the bills per se. And it was definitely not sustainable, but, um, and at this point, you know, I was still working for um, Mike Rosen and Johnny Lyons, kind of being an intern for the K2 guys. But at, again, I'm, I'm out of college, so I needed to graduate from being the intern at some point. Um, so I just kind of started browsing some, some different full-time jobs. And I found that K2 Sports had some listed. Um, at first, they just had like a marketing coordinator job. And I was kind of interested just because, you know, I'm still definitely a big fan of K2 after skiing them for so long and working with Johnny and Mike. Um, so I applied to that one, but shortly after they, they took it down. And then, so I just kind of continued on with what I was doing with the freelance thing. And then I think it was like maybe three weeks later, I was scrolling LinkedIn and I saw that line in full tilt were hiring a marketing specialist. Um, and I was like, just read the description and it was like kind of, you know, ship out skis, like help manage the team, run Instagram, run Facebook, social media, help with email blasts. And pretty much like everything that I was doing on the coaching side of things with like team managing and then everything that I had learned kind of by doing my freelance marketing business in terms of like managing social media and sending out email blasts and anything of that sort. Um, so I applied and then I hit up Mike Rosen, who was amazingly nice enough to give me an amazing recommendation straight to uh, Josh Malchick, the brand director for Line and Full Tilt at the time. Um, and so after a couple of months of kind of like waiting to hear back, I hopped on the phone with, with Josh and we had a really good conversation and he flew me up to Seattle, um, did a, did a big interview with him and Charlie Coltrera, the graphic designer at the time, um, and got off for the job. And so after that, I, yeah, went back to Tahoe and I, I worked remotely for about a month and then yeah, in January. 25th of 2019 was my starting date at K2. So then in February time, I found a place in Seattle and convinced my girlfriend to move up to Seattle with me. And luckily for me, she was willing to do it and kind of uproot her nice life and job at North Star. And so we moved up to a little shoebox apartment in Seattle and started working and have been here for about two years now since then. So when you're at the K2 office, how do you kind of transition into the role that you're in now? What was the road to your current position? So, yeah, I mean, I worked as marketing specialist for about a year. Um, and then 
when January of 2020 came around, Josh Malchak, who again was the brand director for Line and Full Tilt, he had been the brand director for Line and Full Tilt for about 15 years, um, actually a, a kind of brought some of us into a room, like just, just the stakeholders, the internal ones for the brands and just like, hey guys, just so you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm leaving um, in about like two weeks and we're just kind of like, just mind blown, like, all right, okay. And, and he was at the time brand director, but he was also pretty much the marketing manager, basically wearing multiple hats. Um, and so when he ended up leaving, I just kind of ended up taking on a lot of the responsibilities that he was doing. Um, it was like me and Stephen Hartle, who was our sales manager, basically kind of just kind of both stepped up a bit and took on a lot of these duties. Um, and then right as we're doing this and obviously kind of right as Josh is leaving, um, then, you know, COVID happens essentially. And there's just a lot of stuff going on in terms of that. And um, so I ended up kind of working as like the marketing manager with like the marketing specialist title for pretty much a year up until two weeks ago when I finally got the, the, the full on promotion, I guess, for marketing manager. So um, it took some time. Definitely it was a difficult time in terms of the, the pandemic and everything. But again, definitely some really good experience to just be full on kind of thrown into the fire like that and have really good opportunity and to really take on all these responsibilities even though I've only with only being a marketing specialist for like a year and then just kind of I don't know I guess using my background and knowledge of skiing and the stuff I learned from marketing just to kind of keep on like driving the brands and from that standpoint as well and just building a relationship with all the athletes and um, after doing so I think I I mean the, the bosses have appreciated the, the work I've done over the last year um, as a marketing specialist and we're finally like willing to give me the namesake of, of manager. So I'm pretty stoked about that for sure. But it was definitely a lot of grinding for, for a long time. Uh, I mean, you know, difficult year pandemic. So I guess it's expected at that point. Mm-hmm. So could you go into some more depth about what your responsibilities were as the marketing specialist and now as the marketing manager? So, I mean, to start like as, as a marketing specialist, Basically, I mean, daily, daily, like things that I was doing was be like responding to social media, doing a lot of kind of customer service type stuff in terms of like answering DMs on Instagram or answering messages on Facebook, or we have like questions on our website that people can ask directly about a product. So a lot of uh, just like kind of stuff of just replying, simply replying to the to customers and to their requests or anything like that. Um, posting on social, I mean, posting on Instagram, posting on Facebook, um, writing out email blasts that, I mean, we're going to schedule out and have our graphic designers work on. So, I mean, basically like in the summer, we'll kind of go through and just try to plan out anywhere from maybe like three to four, um, monthly emails and then like write all the copy for them, get all the assets together. So like the photos and the, and the videos and then pass them on to graphic, our graphic design team who will put it all together and then get ready to send it out on like the requested date. Um, doing that, yeah, talking to the athletes essentially and fulfilling gear requests, um, being the guy who has to lug all the heavy cardboard boxes everywhere and find the FedEx to labels and ship them out and everything. So, I mean, some cool parts of the jobs, but definitely some of the like non 
I guess, non-luxurious parts at the same time as well. Um, but yeah, doing that, um, adding people into like our vendor system, you know, in order to get people paid, you've got to get them added into like our actual like K2 sports system. So doing that, trying to deal with like contracts and get athletes to sign their contracts and anything of that sort. Um, and then, yeah, again, just like also shipping out skis to, to different magazines and anybody who wants to like write about line um, and just fulfilling requests like that. Cool. And so how many athletes are under the line and full tilt umbrella? Yeah. Full tilt. There's like too many to count because full tilt is for everyone. Everybody rides full tilt. <laughs> no, there's, there's seriously so many athletes that ride full tilt. I mean, it, it, it's definitely awesome. Um, definitely a little marketing plug for me there, but yeah, like I get so many questions about people trying that want to ride in our boot and it's for a good reason because it's a product that definitely works well for them. Um, but yeah, on the, on the line side, I mean, like on the pro team, I think I we want, I want to say that's up in my head. We've got 22, 23 athletes. Um, and then we've got a lot of guys who we call like mountain command or AMs who like I'll still support like kind of directly from me. And then we've got tons of athletes obviously who are just a slightly smaller scale who work with our reps around the country. Mm -hmm. So there's different tiers of, of sponsorship that you guys provide. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, yeah. And I'm assuming where you kind of get into like how the sponsorships kind of happen a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. I mean, it's again, kind of like what, it, I mean, just going back to like what Andy had said too, like it, the, this act of like getting sponsored in skiing can be a bit of a, bit of a tricky one. Cause I've gotten asked this question before by like parents and like, even when I was trying to get sponsored, like myself and my parents were wondering how the heck you do it. Right. Cause ski gear is definitely expensive. Um, I think, I mean, the, the best advice that I can give or like say how it really works is, um, one, like have a lot of fun skiing. And then two, like, if you are like the best, one of the best skiers at your local hill, then, I mean, for one, definitely be like creating content and putting out some of those videos. Cause I mean, I'm on new schoolers online's account all the time, as much as I can be. And, and I'm sure like Armada faction, like any of like, kind of like the park skiing guys, I'm sure they are as well. So if you're putting stuff up there, I mean, we're definitely taking notice to it. And then same thing, like even on Instagram, if you've got some like insane clips, like I've definitely had a couple of kids who I've seen do some clips. Like I think I saw Jackson Karstetter do a, a five swap and on a summer setup in his backyard. And I instantly messaged him and I was like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, this is insane. Like, do you need a pair of skis? <laughs> so, I mean, if you're, if you're doing stuff like that and putting out content that like people are going to see and impresses them, then there's definitely a, a way to get sponsored to do that. And then uh, the other one is, is just kind of the way the world works and that that's really who, you know, and it's connections. Um, the way that I kind of got hooked up with like K2 in the very first place was going into the local sudden ski in Avon, Connecticut and talking to the manager there and showing him like some of my skiing and seeing if he would be nice enough to like connect me with the local um, New England rep. And at the time, I think he still is a rep. Scott Dawson was the one that I could talk to and he was nice enough to get me a pair of demo skis. So, you know, a pair that had already been used at magazine tests, right. But then had already been drilled, but Again, for me, when I got those, I was probably 14 or 15. That's still a free pair of skis in my eyes. So that, that makes me ecstatic. And that's like, that's a foot in the door right there. So I get like, I get so many requests on a daily basis from kids that are just like, 
trying to send me a clip or asking, hey, like, hey, can you sponsor me? And my usual answer is like, like, again, have fun skiing, like just do your best, learn some new tricks. And then, yeah, go talk with your local ski shop. You know, they're, they're there. If you really want to like try to get connected with that local rep, then go talk to them and see if they'll connect you. Um, I mean, it's, again, it, it is really all who, you know, those are kind of like the, the, the two main ways to do it. Yeah, man. So we're getting towards the end. So how do you feel, um, you know, your whole story trying to going from like an aspiring pro skier to someone who's still working in the ski industry. How do you feel after all those injuries and kind of having to change your direction? Where I am right now, I'm pretty damn grateful. Like for sure. For, for a little while, like when I, honestly, when I first started working for line and full tilt, it was a little painful because I still had like that aspiration of wanting to be like the professional skier. And here I am like sending boxes of skis to all the people who have made it. So in a way it was like a little bit bittersweet. But after being here for almost like two years, I mean, and just the opportunities I've had and the people who I've met and talked to and the guys who I used to look up to when I was like a little Grom skiing at Ski Sunday on Mount Snow. And now, I mean, I talk to like Andy Perry or Will Weston or Tom Wallace, like on a daily basis, it's, it's definitely like a, a dream come true. And it's something that like, if I was you know 15 year old and he would have told me i was the marketing manager for line and full tilt i would have gone like shut shut up you're like that that's a joke so i mean i'm extremely grateful and it's it's definitely been a lot of a lot of work to kind of get here but it's i mean it's been worth every every penny or every ounce of sweat i guess you could say or every i don't know typing on the keyboard type of stuff but yeah it's been good it's definitely been worth it yeah, man. Well, I'll stay on for a second afterwards, but I just want to uh, wrap this up and thank you for coming on. This was, uh, you have a great story. Yeah, man. No, thanks. I can't thank you enough for having me on it's my first podcast, you know, so I'm, I'm honored to be on for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure.